0: Uh, 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 29. nine. Uh, Second Kings chapter 23, verse 29. In his days, Pharaoh Necho, king of Egypt, went up against the king of Assyria to the river Euphrates. And King Josiah went against him, and he slew him at Megiddo when he had seen him. And his servants carried him in a chariot dead from Megiddo, and brought him to Jerusalem, and buried him in his own sepulcher. And the people of the land took Jehoaz, the son of Josiah, and anointed him, and made him king in his father's stead. Jehoaz was twenty and three years old when he began to reign, and he reigned three months in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Hamutal, the daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his fathers had done. And Pharaoh Necho put him in bands at Riblah, in the land of Hamath, that he might not reign in Jerusalem, and put the land to a tribute of a hundred talents of silver and a talent of gold. And uh, so here, Josiah (coughs) enters, as we had mentioned last week, Josiah enters into a battle with a king he shouldn't have entered. Uh, I mean, he, he went into a battle that he didn't need to be a part of. Uh, Josiah had been a very godly king. He wanted to serve the Lord, and, and but he was meddling in Egypt's affairs. And it was a personal political decision and not a command from the Lord. And so he enters in there on the northern boundary of Judah. He says, well, the Egyptians are up there. Let's attack them. Well, God didn't call him to do that. And so as a result, there was an unnecessary fight that would end up leading to his inevitable death. And uh, he wanted to prevent Pharaoh Necho from assisting the Syrians in their fight against Babylon. He was pro-Babylon and uh, mortally wounded there at Megiddo and died in Jerusalem. And uh, his death, at the, really the loss at his death, uh, Jerusalem and the kingdom would ro- lose their independence. And they would become a subject, as we find here, uh, that Jehoaz was installed by the Egyptians. Realize this, that uh, when we go outside of what God calls us to do, we lose our independence. Well, we have a dependence upon the Lord, but we lose our independence from others. And according to 1 Chronicles chapter 3, uh, verses 15 and 16, Josiah had four sons. Johanan, Eliakim, uh, renamed Jehoiakim, Mattaniah, who was uh, renamed Zedekiah, and Shalom, also known as Jehoaz. So he had four sons. And uh, we know nothing about Johanan and assume he died in childhood. When Josiah died, the people uh, <clears throat> put Josiah's youngest son Jehoaz in, on the throne. And they bypassed the two other brothers. And they gave his name, uh, you know, his given name was Shalem. Um, but uh, Jehovah. and so he takes the throne. But he's only there for a very short time. Think about this, that, I mean, he's under the Egyptian king. This Josiah... Uh, he did a tremendous work in his life. I mean, he purged the land of idols. Wonderful Passovers. I mean, just love God. He was broken over finding the law of the Lord, as we have spoke about over the last two weeks. Josiah was a good, godly man. But it was at the end of his life, he made a foolish decision. And, uh, you know, <laughs> this, uh, and so this decision would cost him his life, and he would die uh, prematurely, Now Jeremiah chapter 16 verses 1 and 2, the Jeremiah that's mentioned in this passage of Scripture is not the Jeremiah who is the prophet. Jeremiah sixteen one and 2, the word of the Lord came also unto me saying, Thou shalt not take thee a wife, neither shalt thou have sons or daughters in this place. And so the Jeremiah listed here who has a son is obviously not the Jeremiah the prophet, whom God said, don't marry and don't have children. Okay? So, um, and so this king only reigns for three months, he returned to Egypt with his army. He deposes Jehoaz, this Nico, king of Egypt, and uh, made Eliakim king, renaming him Jehoiakim and placed a heavy tax upon the, upon the people. And uh, Pharaoh met Jehoaz in the Egyptian military headquarters at Riblah, and from there took him to Egypt where he would end up dying. And, uh, you know, when, when in Jeremiah, let's turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 22. It is said that when Josiah died, there was not to be a mourning for him, but there was to be a mourning for his sons, because his sons would face a uh, terrible outlook. I mean, they were going to face... Uh, the captivity, the uh, onslaught of the Babylonians coming in and pillaging the land. I mean, it was going to be a terrible time. And so they're saying, don't weep for Josiah. Weep because all the sorrows that are going to be coming your way. In Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 10, weep ye not for the dead, neither bemoan him, but weep sore. For him that goeth away, for he shall return no more, nor see his native country. For thus saith the Lord, touching Shalom, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, which reigned instead of Josiah his father, which went forth out of this, this place, he shall not return thither anymore. But he shall die in the place whither they have led him captive, and shall see this land no more. And so unlike his godly father, Josiah Jehoahaz, uh was just an ungodly evil king wicked i mean he only reigned three months so he has a very short time there and uh you know jehovah had called israel to dwell alone and not be reckoned among the nations numbers 23 9 tells us this and their faith was to be in the lord alone it wasn't to be in all of their diplomacy and other types of things the compromises that they would make let's go back to deuteronomy chapter Uh, 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 11, when you think about this, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, we find something interesting here, you know, that these are a kingdom of priests and of, of really a holy nation unto the Lord. They're a holy people. God wanted Uh, This idea of separation is so uh, interwoven with Christianity today that God has called us to be separate from the world. We are not to look like the world. The world's music and the world's entertainment is not to be ours. And there is that separation that God has called us to. It's not that we're better than others, but he doesn't want a defiling influence in our lives that will drive us into the very same devastation that Israel and Judah would face. In Deuteronomy chapter seven, verse six, the Bible tells us, "For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God. The idea there of holy is separate, pure unto the Lord. There is nothing else that is of a worship. Uh, the Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto Himself above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set His love." upon you nor choose you because you were more in number than any people you were the fewest of all people so he's not he's saying Israel you're not there's nothing specifically special about you but in verse 8 but because the Lord loved you and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand And redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations, and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him, he will repay him to his face. So as you look at this, God says, Listen, you know, it's easy to we say, well, we're Jewish, and so we are God's chosen people. God says, no, there's nothing specifically special about you other than I'm fulfilling the promise that I made to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and the continuing descendants. He says, now God says, I am fulfilling those promises to you as a nation of the specialty of who you are, but it, there's nothing inherently or intrinsically special about you. Uh, I mean, I didn't choose you because, you know, you're the largest or because of some intellectual intellectual uh, prowess that you have I didn't choose you for those reasons God says I I I my hand has been upon you because of the promise I made to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob and it was Solomon who moved Israel you think about it I mean Saul was wicked but he didn't do as evil as many of the kings of Israel would and some of the kings of Judah would but it was Solomon who would remove Israel from this from this position of a separation holy unto God under David, and now move them to a very compromised, uh, syncretistic type relationship with the world. I mean, he had 700 wives, 300 concubines, uh, tremendous paganism, tremendous idolatry and religion all brought in there. And so all of this would bring in, you know, all the diplomatic uh, uh, treaties and promises and all of these types of uh, contracts that were scripted up. And, And many of the marriages of Solomon would have been a result of trying to make some diplomatic deal. Solomon really i mean the the treaties they brought wealth but and they kept the warfare out for a time but in keep but in all of these treaties is a yoking up and strings attached to idolatry this idolatry would be the undoing of the people you see i remember it's this idea here and why a church will, does not want to receive funds from the government uh, as a result because every time there are funds there are strings attached and there is a, a prerequisite uh, understood that there will be uh, compromises that are asked for and sometimes very diabolical compromises. You know, had the people kept the Lord and, you know, followed the Lord and kept his covenant, they would have maintained staying in the land. But their disobedience led to defeat and tremendous problems. Let's look at Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2. This is actually something, looking at this idea uh, as we're going through the foundations on Sunday morning. And uh, it's been on my mind and my thought and the whole establishment, and it will be in this morning's message and uh, probably a continuation, but this idea that God has put into our lives of obedience, with obedience comes the blessings and the hand of the Lord upon our lives, but with disobedience, there is a removal uh, and a separation from God, uh, which will end up leading to much more uh, unfavorable consequences. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us, And it shall come to pass, if thou shalt hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee, if thou shalt hearken in the voice of the Lord thy God. God has called us to have a submission of our will to him. A lack of submission leads into idolatry. It leads into captivity. Maybe not necessarily physical uh, captivity, but there is a spiritual captivity wherein we are locked in to a course of life and we don't know how to get out of it. Uh, there's, some un- there's some unsavory and some undesirable circumstances that we will unnecessarily face. Uh, if we face this idea of disobedience. Verse 7 of Deuteronomy 28, The Lord shall cause thine enemies that rise up against thee to be smitten before thy face. They shall come, against thee, shall come out against thee one way and flee before thee seven ways. God says, listen, if you follow me, I'm going to protect you. Verse 9, The Lord shall establish thee and holy people unto himself as he hath sworn unto thee. If thou shalt keep thy, the commandments of the Lord thy God and walk in his ways... And all the people of the earth shall see that thou art called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of thee. I mean, these are some tremendous, think about this. God says, listen, I'm going to prosper you, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to help you, I'm going to protect you, and your enemies already defeated. Think about this. The Bible says our enemies are already defeated if we just follow in obedience. Many times, these enemies that we have, I'm seeking to overpower, I'm seeking to overcome. But God says, listen, I've already defeated them, but I want you to follow me. Yes, you're going to have to go through the battle. You know, and, and what we find today is that churches have followed this bad example. They've entangled themselves with the world, and instead of keeping itself separated, they've embraced the world. I'd like to take you to a couple passages of scriptures on this. Look with me at 2 Timothy 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, and this actually ties in very well with our Sunday evening service on the holiness of God. And the false prophets and, and teachers that we have, false teachers of today, they don't emphasize holiness. Now they might emphasize a, you need to do this and this and this, all this external trappings of religion, but they're not, oops, they're not dealing with it from the heart. And so this idea of holiness is not just an external, because Jesus Christ would tell the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he's like your whitewashed sepulchres. You're a whole bunch of tombstones that have been painted white on the outside, but you're still dead. There's still dead men's bones there. So God has called us, and this idea of holiness is more than just a conforming to a set lifestyle it is a a a transformation of God does internally wherein my heart is set on I want to follow him with all of my heart and I may struggle with the flesh but my heart is a desire that I want to do God's will. I want to be obedient. I want to put God first. And this is the idea of holiness and separation. Here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 4, the Bible tells us, "No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier." The Bible is very clear. Warreth, you see we see we're all in a spiritual warfare. And he says, entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Why do I want to tie myself up with all the trappings of this life? I understand we have contracts and you buy a house and a vehicle and all those sorts of things. I understand that. But this idea of entangling himself is I get so uh, in, in, intertwined with worldly things that now I'm, I'm in a real struggle to, to capitulate or to give in because of where I'm at in some agreements or whatever I've made and he's called the believer don't don't get yourself entangled James chapter 1 verse 27 going a little further here Hebrews James James chapter 1 verse 27 I find it interesting we're talking about this very subject at the same time we're dealing with it in the evening service. It's amazing how God just blends these sermons and you know, puts them in the order that He has. I just started some of my studies on Habakkuk. and That's pretty interesting as well. And it's a uh, w- wonderful book. James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. Notice with me how there's an emphasis on purity and lack of defilement before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself, what's the next word, unspotted from the world. You see, we're in the world, but my mannerisms, my actions, my attitude are not to evidence that I am a child of the world, but that I am a child of God. I understand we're all in a faith journey we're all learning and growing we've been talking about the fruit of the spirit on wednesday nights here in galatians chapter 5 but again this heavy heavy emphasis on unspotted pure undefiled god is very clear he wants a people whose hearts and minds are without uh, being soiled by the wickedness of this world if you go to any grocery store and you, you have to pass any, you know, when you're going sometimes on checkout, they have all these magazines. They're garbage. I mean, they're just a bunch of garbage in there. Anytime there's, you know, if you go into a restaurant and sometimes there's things, there's TVs up, some, a lot of the stuff on those televisions is not wholesome. It's not going to help enrich the believer's life. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 The Bible again reiterates to us, looking at this idea, I mean, Judah has wholesale, uh, after Josiah, I mean, they all in, with they're embracing different beliefs. They're embracing different religion. They're, 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 it's, they're, they're no longer saying we will serve God alone. They're no longer saying that these are unholy actions and unholy relationships and unholy treaties and covenants and things that we're making with these other nations which God told them never to do. He says, this is the land I brought you in. I'll protect you. I'll keep you. I will be with you. I will be your protection. But they don't don't understand it they look at it from a human perspective and they make these agreements they're unequally yoked with those who are ungodly and as a result the the, the whole nation begins to have all this blending and uh, they end up being no different than the pagans with whom they live along live alongside 1st John chapter 2 verse 15 love not the world God, again, this idea of separation, unspotted, love, because a love of the world. And, and this is what, the asp- what I mean by this. Pastor, how does this apply to my everyday life? Well, in the jobs I want to do, where I'm going to work, things I'm going to do, uh, you know, it, 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 where I'm working. Have I ever asked the Lord if this is the place He wants me to work, right? and i understand, and i'm you know we're thankful for the job god gives. god opens doors and so we're thankful for that but you know in our workplace is an opportunity god's put you there for a specific reason to be a an encouragement and a help to other people and uh, <clears throat> so god's desire is for our lives he says listen i want all all of your heart whether it's in my job I want you to love me and I want you to serve me and I'm going to help you to excel in your job. I'm going to help you to work hard and, and to, 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 to work through sometimes difficult employees and difficult coworkers and those, God says, I'm going to help you. I'd like you to also look with me at a, at a passage of Scripture, John, not 1 John, but the book of John in the Gospels, John chapter 17, verse 13. John chapter 17, verse 13. You know, and, and, and God, Christ has called us to be in the world. He's called us to go out. He's called us, you know, uh, to be in the world, but not of the world. Just because in your, co- in your workplace, you might have some individuals who have a foul mouth, cursing, swearing. They might have some very crude, coarse jokes. I don't need to partake in those. I don't need to add into those, you know, and uh, this ought not to be, we're different. And I'm not saying we're trying to be weird, but we're trying to say, you know what, I only want to exalt and bring up the very things that are going to make God look good. Because I'm an ambassador of his, I mean, I'm trying to point people by my very lifestyle, so when they look at my God, they say, wow, what a marvelous God he is. John chapter 17, verse 13, And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them. Through thy truth, that word sanctify is again separation, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. If you spend any time in the word of God and and, and daily, if you're daily in the word of God, it's going to change your idea and how you uh, view the world. I was uh, just speaking, I got an email or I guess a Facebook message. Uh, yesterday, and uh, Ron had sent me this, but he's saying down in the states, uh, in the whole January sixth debacle, but there were also not only there were those that were, I guess, on uh, Twitter or now X, were uh, messaging the former vice or former President Trump, uh, but also individuals who were buying Bibles. They're putting on a list. Of possible dissidents against the government merely for buying a Bible. When in the history have you thought, I mean, you think about the United States and and just buying a Bible puts you on a terrorist watch list? We are in a sad state. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But the idea is, you know, Campbell Morgan would say, when he used to, he, he has said, he said that the church did the most for the world when the church was least like the world. Be distinct. You see, our entertainment and the music we listen to ought to be so distinctly different. It's not taking worldly tunes, putting some Christian words with them, and then, all, and then all automatically it's becoming something sanctified. Because the music that is overriding the backbeat and the beat of the music, if you take the words out, it sounds no different than what you might find sometimes in a nightclub or in some bar. You can't sanctify that which is inherently evil. And music is definitely not amoral. One of these days, I'd love to have... uh, Pastor Matt up here. He's done several seminars on music and very well versed in that. And it'd be cool to bring him up one of these days and have him do that. But that's down the road. But what we end up finding coming back to 2 Kings or 2nd Chronicles, excuse me, 2nd Chronicles 36, Judah would lose the land. You see, it never pays to compromise it might immediately benefit you for a period of time but the compromise will eventually catch up to you and you will regret it having deposed Jehoaz Pharaoh Necho selected uh, here in second Chronicles 36 verse 5 let's read this so Jehoaz is off Jehoiakim or Shalom comes on the rain Verse 5 of Second Chronicles 36. Jehoiakim was twenty and 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and bound him in fetters to carry him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon and put them in his temple at Babylon. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and his abominations which he did That which was found in him, behold, they are written in the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, and Jehoiakim, his son, reigned in his stead. So, Jehoaz, you know, Jehoaz is off, he's been deposed by Pharaoh Necho, and uh, and selected Josiah's second son, uh, Eliakim, you know, and changed his name from Eliakim to Jehoiakim. And uh, both names mean God is established, but the new uh, used the covenant name Jehovah in place of El and the common name for God. And really, Nico is claiming to be the Lord's agent in ruling Judah. He says, listen, I'm the king over Judah. I'm the God over Judah. And so he's elevating himself. And you know, the new king had to swear allegiance to Pharaoh Nico. See, no longer was he fair. You know, they lost their prominence on the world stage and to directly go to God, now they're all making all these alliances, trying to appease the very ones with, to whom they're indebted. And now a heavy tax comes on the people, reigned for 11 years, and, uh, and Judah got worse and worse. I mean, he was a wicked man. When Uriah the prophet uh, denounced him and fled to Egypt, Jehoiakim sent his men to kill him. Look with me at Jeremiah chapter 26. Jehoiakim was a vile, vile man. Kind of interesting that one of Josiah's sons is so evil, yet they had such a godly father. And you can see that, that that happens. Sometimes. You know, you can have a deviation from, I mean, Josiah, yes, Josiah made some compromises in the end. Jeremiah chapter 26, verse 20, the Bible tells us And there was also a man that prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah of Kirjath-Jerim, who prophesied against this city and against this land, according to all the words of Jeremiah. And with Jehoiakim, the king, with all his mighty men and all the princes, heard his words. The king sought to put him to death, but when Uriah heard he, he was afraid and fled and went into Egypt. Jehoiakim, the king, sent men into Egypt, namely El Nathan, the son of Achbor, and certain men with him into Egypt. And they fetched forth Uriah out of Egypt and brought him into Jehoiakim, the king, who slew him with a sword and cast his dead body into the graves of the common people. Nevertheless, the hand of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah that they should not give him to the hand of the people to put him to death. Uh, and this is another instance where you know, Jehoiakim, he kills Uriah. He's like, you are preaching against me. I'm against you. I'm going to kill you. I, I'm, Uriah's like, I'm in trouble. I'm out of here. He runs and they still kill him. I mean, it's kind of like what happened with William Tyndale. I mean, they burned him. He fled. He got ended up having someone stab him in the back and, and turned him in and he got burned at the stake. They did not. I mean, and this was the Catholic church that did this. They didn't want the English Bible to get out. But in the same sense, Urijah, this, this priest, uh, he is, this prophet, he is saying, listen, Jehoiakim, you are an evil, wicked, vile king. You must repent. Well, they didn't want to hear any of that. And uh, you know, Jeremiah the prophet announced that Jehoiakim would not be mourned when he died. He'd have the burial of a donkey, not the burial of a king. If you're there in Jeremiah, turn with me back to Jeremiah chapter 22. This is the same king that when Jeremiah read the scrolls with which God gave to him, he would take a penknife, he would cut the scroll, throw it into the fire. I mean, Jehoiakim hated the truth of God. He did not want to be accountable, and we find that in government today. That no, you know, that a lot of these world leaders, they don't want to be held accountable. I don't think any, I mean, any that I know of, I mean, there might be a few, very, very few if there are any, but they don't want, they don't realize that I am executing the office in the government that God has placed me in. God's placed every leader there, where they're at. But they don't want to be held accountable, and the Word of God is such a source of condemnation and conviction that they don't want the conviction so they want to remove the truth or the messenger of the truth. Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 18. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, concerning Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, they shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, my brother, ah, sister. They shall not lament for him, saying, Ah, Lord, or ah, his glory. He shall be buried with the burial of an ass drawn and cast forth beyond the gates of Jerusalem. And, I mean, he, in Jeremiah 36, is where he cuts up the scroll. He literally cannot stand for truth to be present. The realization. I mean, he has no respect for the things of the Lord. Jeremiah 22 talks about Josiah. Well, a new empire of Babylon is about to replace the Egyptian. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar the king, he attacks Egypt. And uh, ended in a stalemate for a while, and then you know, Nebuchadnezzar returns to Babylon, re equips himself, re strengthens his army, comes back, and he defeats the Egyptians. And uh, you know, Jehoiakim falsely concludes hey, the Babylonians, they've left. Woo, we're free. We're, we're free under the, the Egyptians. We can do what we want. Remember in Scripture, oftentimes, the, the, the picture of Egypt. Uh, is a picture of the world. And so here they are, really under the rulership of the world, with whom they have their devotion, with whom they have their, uh, their affinity and their aspirations. You know, oftentimes, <clears throat> young kids, you ask, them, what do you want to do with your life? Well, I'd like to do this, or I'd like to do this. And, you know, it's oftentimes based upon money, or it's based upon prestige and power or education, whatever the case may be. But it's not based upon, well, this is what the Lord has called me to do. That's out of their mind. It's, well, here's what I want to do because it's profitable. Well, there's nothing wrong necessarily with being profitable if that's what God has for your life. But if your aspirations are outside of what God's called you to, then, you're, then you have a wrong focus. And, uh, and so in this position, as Jehoiakim is under the, the Egyptians, you know, these... What happens is Nebuchadnezzar ordered the armies, some of his vassal nations, to attack and raid Judah. So they come back. And uh, Isaiah has told Hezekiah that this would happen. You know, he told King Hezekiah this has happened. Jeremiah tells, Hey, Jehoiakim, I need you to capitulate. You need to go to Babylon. You need to surrender. You'll live. And all the people who surrender and go into Babylon, they're all going to live. Jehoiakim's like, why would I surrender? I've got the Egyptians. So end up, it goes to such a point of, of, of destruction that, in fact, you know, Nebuchadnezzar punishes Jerusalem. He arrives, his officers come to catch Jehoiakim, they bind him, take him prisoner. But in all of this period leading up to this, there's such a siege against Judah and Jerusalem that the parents... Are killing their own children to eat them because there's no food. Rather than doing what God has called them to do, Jehoiakim, hey, your people are dying. They're being destroyed because there is no food. I cannot, I would rather, I can't even fathom the thought of killing or boiling up your own child. That, I, don't, I don't even know, I can't even, I can't even think. I'd rather die than to ever do that. But there's a great invasion coming. But Jehoiakim's heart was so set on doing his own thing. He would end up dying in 598 and uh, just sleeping. Uh, Nebuchad- 597, Nebuchadnezzar, here. let me read this for you, came to Jerusalem to punish the rebellious king, but before he arrived, his officers captured Jehoiakim, bound him take him prisoner to Babylon. Second Chronicles 36, 5 and 6. So in 2 Chronicles 36, 5 and 6, Jehoiakim was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 11 years, did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and bound him in fetters to carry him. You know, Jeremiah says, Jehoiakim, you are going to have a very awful death. Live a disgraceful life and buried in a disgraceful manner. I'm going to end there for this morning. There's more to go, but... if you think about this idea of obedience, so often in our lives and our minds, we're ruled by our own sense of what is right and what is wrong. And yet, this decision-making or morality with which we're making these decisions is not founded or is not grounded upon the Word of God, and as a result, there's a lot of collateral damage. When we have a heart of lack of submission to what God has placed in our lives, you will face a lot of turmoil and pain. It's going to happen. You're going to have opposition, additional opposition, more than you would have if you follow the Lord. And this is what is seen in the life and lives of those of Judah and Israel. They saw fit how to live life according to their own understanding, and they would reap what they had sown. As you think on that, and, uh, and next week we'll look at they lost their wealth and they're leading the people. Lord willing, maybe next week we'll finish it up, but uh, finish the second Kings and move on to Habakkuk. But I find it amazing as you think about over and over again, God has given us such testimonies of people with whom rebellion, disobedience has created such awful, awful outcomes. And it could have all been mitigated had God's words simply been consulted and applied. I May mean, we think on these truths this morning. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank You for this day. I thank You for Your grace. And our Lord, I just ask that You'd go before us and direct us. I pray that You'd help us to be found faithful. And Lord, I pray that we would obey. We'd have a submitted spirit to Thee. And Lord, I just ask that You'd help us not to get these horrific outcomes. But Lord, that we would just have an attitude of submission Lord, as Jehoiakim was to submit to the Lord, submit to uh, what Jeremiah had told him, and Lord, as a result of not listening, not only was he afflicted, not only was his family afflicted, but also Judah was afflicted. A lot of unnecessary deaths simply because of rebellion. Father, I pray that we would have a heart that is totally set on following You, submitted to You, in those you've placed in our lives, we love you. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen.